How we doing? Welcome into the second episode of the recap. I'm your host, Ryer, and today we have our very special first guest ever, voice of the ECHL's main Mariners, my coworker and my pal, Michael Keeley. Keels, how's it going? It's going good, Ryer. It's an honor to be your first guest. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I was thinking who could uh, be a good guest to have on, and uh, might as well get the guy who does media for a living. Uh, so, Kiels, if you want to give a little rundown about what you do, and then we'll hop right into some hockey talk. Sure. Well, uh, as you introduced me there, uh, I am the voice of the Maine Mariners, but as you know very well, Ryer, I do a lot more uh, working in the marketing department with yourself and our, our awesome director of marketing, Natalie Toby. And um, typically, when times are normal, obviously, we're working on preparing for uh, for game nights and social media, which is ongoing even throughout the pandemic, obviously, and then all the media duties, including play-by-play, writing for the website, press releases, uh, a little bit of graphic design here and there. um, You know, it's been a challenge the last six months to keep uh, the fans engaged and entertained, but I think we're doing a pretty good job, and hopefully uh, come December 4th, we're somewhat back to uh, our normal schedule, and and ready to go for, for a new season. But um, really, really uh, honored to have this job. Uh, my first chance to work uh, in the pros as far as hockey goes. And I've had so much fun through the first two seasons. And this pandemic has just made me even more uh, hungry to, to get back to, to season three uh, whenever that does begin. Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, doing those game operations, seeing some live hockey again. Uh, it has been difficult, but we've been getting through it. And one thing that's helping us get through it is we finally got hockey back keels. So a lot's happened in the last week since uh, I did my first podcast, went on a little vacation to the lake. So I was kind of uh, away from everything. So not completely on top of it. So we have a lot to go over here. So what we're going to do is we're going to start out by wrapping up the qualifiers and then hop into uh, what we had for picks uh, I'm actually going to clip those and tweet them out so everybody knows I'm not lying. Things have changed my mind halfway through this series. Uh, so I will tweet those out from at the recap pod underscore. Give it a follow. So let's start here. First series I want to wrap up. Islanders move past Florida. Nothing too exciting here. You know, it's kind of a uh, matchup of the Islanders just really suffocating out Florida. They, they came back a little bit, but then they finished it off as I, as I thought they would. Keels, you got any thoughts on this series? Well, I actually thought it was going to be a little tighter. I mean, uh, only one series in the whole qualifying round went the distance. Um, so that was kind of surprising. But, I mean, if you look at their regular season records, very similar between the two teams. Um, now, you kind of just throw those out the window because it's like a restart for everybody, really. And then you subtract home ice advantage and all that. So... Uh, there's not really any result that necessarily surprises me, but I, I thought Florida would give a little bit more of a fight to the Islanders. They have a very talented roster. Um, and there were times this year where they were uh, a really good looking team, but um, I, I do think the Islanders and, and based on what they're showing now in, in this current round against your caps there, uh, they seem to be a team on a mission. So uh, they clearly were, um, the hungrier team there, and that's why you saw the results you did. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get to that series down the road here. But, I, yeah, I think it was just a case of 
the Islander strengths were the exact, you know, opposite of um, what Florida wanted to see. So they were a perfect matchup there. Florida has a lot up front, not the best uh, in the back. And as we saw, Bobrovsky didn't really live up to his contract. So uh, it was kind of just running into the wrong person there. I think maybe if they got a different matchup, they could have they could have uh, maybe gave up more of a fight. So moving on here to the next series, we have Vancouver uh, being the Wild three to one. Uh, I was surprised by the Wild actually putting up a fight. I honestly thought this was going to be a sweep. I thought they were just going to be too old, too slow. But a lot of the games were close, and Vancouver ends up pulling away as I expected. But you know. I thought the Wild gave a better effort than I was expecting. What do you, what do you think, Kiels? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat connected to the Minnesota Wild hockey beat from my three years in Minnesota. So I have some friends and former coworkers out there that are Wild fans. And the way their season started, um, I mean, just coming into the season, I should say, the expectations were really low. And I think a lot of their fans were almost hoping they would uh, end up in a position to get a good draft pick because they, they've kind of been in that, spot every year where they're you know seventh or eighth seed and they're a first round exit and I think they're kind of sick of that and obviously that's kind of what ended up happening again but yeah I mean they won the first game of the series if I'm not mistaken and then Vancouver kind of asserted their dominance the rest of the way Bo Horvat um, I think he's top five in the in the playoffs in scoring overall he's kind of led them and um, yeah that that result didn't surprise me but the fact uh yeah, the Wild, I think, I think you're right. They did somewhat exceed expectations. Yeah, definitely, and I, I agree with you. I think it's time for the Wild to make a decision there and try and maybe, I don't know, maybe you blow it up and hope for a worse result next season so you can get a little bit higher draft pick. But they definitely need some new talent in there to complement their, their older core. Um, yeah, Bo Horvat, he scored another disgusting goal the other night. I don't know if you saw that. The well around, you miss it. Uh, yeah, go back and take a look at it. It was absurd. I think he had another one too in this series that was that was off the charts. He's he was a guy that's he's kind of hitting his his prime right now, and he's he's become a legitimate you know NHLer and I think a leader on that team. So he's going to be huge moving forward for them. Uh, so next series we got here, Calgary winning over Winnipeg. Uh, I talked about this last podcast. I said that. You know, there was the controversy in game one. Uh, Shifley gets knocked out. Line A goes down. And, you know, Winnipeg bounces back and has a good good W in game two. But I, I didn't – they just didn't have the weapons to really compete with Calgary. I don't know what you thought, Keels, but that was my, my take on it. Yeah, admittedly, I didn't watch uh, as much of uh, this series as some of the other ones. But, I mean, you look at, again, uh, kind of with the Islanders and the Panthers, very similar – records in the regular season for these two in fact they were separated by a uh, 0.001 of a point percentage so um, on paper it was a very it should have been a very tight matchup but again everything is kind of reset in this format and I don't know I just kind of really like Calgary I know they were a much better team last season when they had that surprising first round exit um, and there were a lot of upsets obviously last season but uh, I, I just kind of like the the players they have and, and they're showing and not to spoil your plan here prior but I did pick them to advance past Dallas as well so they're kind of proving proving that I was right on that and that I think they're almost built for the playoffs in many ways and uh, they're performing up to expectations for me 
Yeah, we got a little 2-2 tie going on here as we record. Yeah, we're watching, I'm watching game, <laughs> game four of Calgary and Dallas, so keep that in mind when you're listening. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree. I think that the biggest thing for them this year that they didn't get last year is that their goaltending, Cam Talbot's really stepped it up. So I think that's going to be huge as long as he can continue to play the way he has. And I think that was the difference because – Going into that series, uh, you know, you you give the advantage to Hellebuck, but I think Cam Talbot just felt evenly matched him. Uh, a goalie matchup that was not evenly matched was in the next series, and that was Arizona over Nashville, where Darcy Kemper has solidified himself as, I mean, I honestly have to say he's probably been the best goaltender in these playoffs, given the circumstances. All these games – Pretty much from what I saw, Nashville outplayed Arizona, but Arizona just stuck around and leaned on Darcy, and he was able to get them past them in four games. Yeah, uh, surprising. Uh, I was pretty surprised by that result just based on the track records of the teams. But, I mean, goaltending is a uh, as the great uh, decider in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We know that. Uh, we're seeing it, I think, with Carey Price in Montreal – uh, I mean, obviously not in the, in the first round, at least. I know I'm continuing to jump ahead of you, Ryer, but just from a general standpoint, goaltending is uh, is a make or break thing. Can lead can lead teams to championships, and oftentimes has to be that decider. So uh, that was the case in that series, um, and really interesting for teams like Arizona that would not have uh, been in the playoffs under a normal circumstance to get this opportunity and um, and kind of make history. So. A pretty good story. Definitely. And I think they're a bit of a younger team. They've injected a couple big big guns in Kessel and Taylor Hall. So I don't think they were necessarily uh, expecting, you know, a Stanley Cup run. But I think it's a good step to even just get in there and pull that over a team like Nashville that you, you kind of think are in win-now mode. So you got to look at what they're going to do this offseason. They threw a bundle at Duchesne. They're kind of in disarray at goaltender, and, and they get a lot of money tied up there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, in the offseason. Now, moving on here to the most competitive series, I think, in the first uh, round there, and that was Columbus inching one out over Toronto. The only series that went the distance, which I don't know if you listened to the last part, I I did really well uh, predicting these qualifier skills, and I know for a fact that it, luck is immediately going to run out for the rest of my bracket. So, <laughs> uh, but I did say that I thought this was going to go the distance, and it did, and it was for all the same reasons that I thought. Tortorella, you know, he put on a coaching clinic. He had guys step up here. Luke Dubois is unbelievable. Hat trick in one game. And then you saw Toronto, Toronto's talent in uh, a couple of the games. But to me, it just seemed like even though you see the talent, you see the names on Toronto, they just, I don't know, they, they seem to be more concerned with padding their own stats than they are about winning hockey games. Uh, they only turned it, they didn't, they weren't giving a, an effort really game five until later on in the game. But like the first half of that game, they looked, they looked dead to me. So, yeah, you know, sorry, go ahead. No, I mean to to that point, it's interesting because you've seen, you've seen uh, with Edmonton, it took them so long to compile a bunch of star players and actually, you know, put the pieces together in the correct way to have it translate into success. And so, just because you have a lot of stud individual players doesn't necessarily translate. Um, and I think you might be onto something there with the Leafs. That if you've watched any Leafs playoff series in the last five years, you 
almost assume that the series is going the distance. It seems like they're playing a game seven uh, every year, in this case, a game five. But um, this was the series I was most closely watching um, for entertainment value. And just, I guess it aligned with my schedule and I was turning the TV on, but um, just crazy with the, the dueling 3-0 comebacks that uh, the teams had in, in games three and then four, I think it was. And uh, I, I found it interesting because it made me wonder, is that something that really could only happen in this bubble where the environment is kind of strange and you have no crowd? Because if you think about it, if you're up three, nothing in a game and you're, you happen to be the home team in the playoffs, you're not blowing that lead. It's really hard not to hold on to that lead. You have all the energy behind you, the crowd. And uh, I guess you could say the same thing in the other direction. If you're on the road or if you, if you're the home team kind of come back from down three Oh, you get the boost from the crowd and all of that is just eliminated in this format. So I, I kind of found that really interesting, but also Columbus with the ability to bounce back in a game five after blowing the three nothing lead in the, in their first chance to close it out. Um, I think that's where you really saw their uh, intangibles that had translated from last season when they had that run knocking off Tampa Bay. And so, um, you know, that's, that's the reason I gave them the edge before the series. And, um, I think that that little experience from last season made the difference in, in game five. Yeah, that is something interesting to think about too. If the no fans is, you know, making it harder to maintain the momentum that can really help a lot in a playoff series. Also, uh, Corporal Paulo playing really well. Yeah, he did. And we'll, we'll get to that, Keels. Don't get <laughs> worried about that. Uh, so moving on here. Canadians over Pens, you know, I hated to see this result. You know, you never want to see the Penguins go out this early. I was really <laughs> upset about it, Keeley. Uh, but anyways, it, it was really the back end that impressed me for Montreal. Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie just just imposing their will as as well as Carey Price, like you said, you know, being Carey Price. And I don't think they necessarily outplayed them for the whole series, but they yeah, they got the job done in four games. and. The Penguins are a team that, you know, you have Crosby, you have Malkin, you have all these different pieces. What do you do now? You didn't get that first overall pick. So what do you, you know, what's the next step here? Well, I think, I think in a five game series, game one is just that much more important. You know, these guys are used to playing seven game series uh, in a normal format. Obviously they are now, but, but uh, for Montreal to win that game one in overtime, I think really kind of turned the series into their favor and, kind of relax a little bit and they have more margin for error. And then, yeah, Carey Price was the difference. I mean, he's, I think, overall body of work, uh, been the best goaltender of anybody in this tournament. And, you know, we know he has the capability to do that. He's been around such a long time. Um, and he seems to be playing inspired hockey. And for Montreal, just like Arizona, they get the benefit of uh, new life. I mean, they would not have been in the playoffs uh, had the season ended normally. And, uh, they take advantage of maybe the time the time off where the Penguins lost all their momentum and Montreal came in as the underdogs and embraced the role. So uh, good for the, that organization. They have a really good fan base out there, as we know, and um, it's it'll be interesting to see if they can go any further. For sure. And for me, thinking about Pittsburgh, I think they have Jim Rutherford as their GM, and he's a, he's a bit of a wheeler dealer, so I'm interested to see what he does in the offseason because – He's not much for giving the guys uh, a long leash. You know, if, if things aren't working out, he likes to shake it up. So we'll see what happens over there. You know, and, and, to, and to add to that, you know, players want to go to Pittsburgh. They have, you know, the, the, the track record of winning. They have 
you know, two of the best players in the NHL still uh, as their core. So I don't think it'd be any problem for, for that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, moving on to the other 12 over five upset, we have Chicago beating the Edmonton Oilers. Chicago looked unbelievable. Taze and Kane played well. The young guys, Kubelik and Doc, are great. Uh, they got good defensive play. Duncan Keith looked rejuvenated. Uh, they got some pretty good goaltending, you know, other than the high-scoring games. But they were able to outgun uh, Edmonton and McDavid and take it in four. What are your thoughts on this one, Kiels? I enjoyed this series a lot, too. Yeah, a couple things that mentioned with previous series. First of all, the first game where Chicago put up like seven goals or whatever it was, and that I think was just a shell shock for Edmonton that they never recovered from. Um, and as I mentioned with Columbus, the playoff experience, Chicago has plenty of that with those two guys you mentioned, Taves and Kane. Kubalik, a guy that wasn't really even on my radar, but he is now uh, after that performance. And um, Edmonton, yeah, they're just uh, – unfortunately, they're, they're falling into that uh, – reputation of teams like uh, San Jose and before they before they won the cup unfortunately your caps were in this category too of of being a, a force every year in the regular season and just struggling in, in the playoffs and um, you know there's so much talent on their roster you could argue they have the two best players in the Western Conference on their team and uh, they just didn't show up and I'm sure they were hurt by the whole uh, vacation if you will between uh, the end of the or when the pandemic hit until now that a lot of teams um, probably would have performed a, a lot better had there not been a, a long pause. But, um, you know, no one can really make that excuse because everybody had to deal with the same thing. So um, very disappointing from an Edmonton point of view. Uh, I was definitely surprised to see them go down in four. Um, and uh, I guess Chicago still has more left in the tank than I thought they did. Yeah, definitely. They, they looked good. Um... We'll, we'll get to what they've been up to lately. But, yeah, for Edmonton, I think they just need, a, you know, some of those those pieces, those guys in the bottom six that can help you out in the playoffs. And then they need that stud defenseman that they just don't have that, like, you know, that that John Carlson, that Chris Letang, that, you know, <laughs> Jeff Petrie. He's, they did have him, but, he, but, you know what I mean? They they I think if they can get that type of guy – and maybe there's someone – I think Tyson Berry's contract is up with Toronto after the season. Maybe that's a guy they look at. He played well in Colorado, didn't really play that great in Toronto, but maybe he can do better in Edmonton. But I think that is a huge piece. And then just consistent goaltending. So, you know, maybe they look to Holtby if Capitals let him go. So we'll see. I think, I think there's going to be stuff out there this season that they can do, but it's almost to me like – we keep saying the same thing every year. They need that dominant defense, that dominant defensive guy and the goaltending, and they just haven't addressed it. So you know, I think that's the hardest thing to find in hockey. I mean, I know this, unfortunately, all too well being a Sabres fan. I feel like I've said the same thing about them for uh, a decade now, you know, since the last time they made the playoffs, is they need to uh, find some stud D-men. And obviously they drafted Brasmus Dahlin, and they're – you know, they've had some wins there, but it's, it's hard to find a good, reliable veteran defenseman. And a lot of it, I think, has to do with the way the game has changed, where you don't really have too many true shutdown defensemen anymore. All of them are, are kind of two-way. I mean, you still, you still have guys that, that play really good defensively, but almost all of them are, are able to score as well. And uh, a lot of times you just got to kind of luck into it. I mean, for certain guys, change of scenery does, does them well, and they play better in one place than another. Uh, you mentioned Petrie. So 
uh, we'll see if that uh, if that's something they're able to shore up. But I think you're you're right on with your assessment. Yeah, and moving on to the last series here, I really don't want to talk about the series because it wasn't very exciting. It was pure domination by the Hurricanes over the Rangers. But what we do need to uh, talk about is that the Rangers got that number one overall pick. You know, maybe maybe a little collusion there, get the number one pick for New York, but <laughs> uh, like the NBA back in the day. But uh, so they're going to have the first shot at Alexi Lafreniere, and I think that's what you got to go with. I, I don't really see a second option. I've heard. A couple of people saying they should trade it. I I don't see that at all. They're not really in win now mode. Maybe if you're uh, Pittsburgh and Edmonton and you get that pick, you trade it for you know a, a piece. But I think right now the Rangers are building and they had a strong finish to the season. So you take this guy, see if he can fit in, and you can you know make yourself a, a second legit line besides just you know Panarin and Zabinajad. Maybe have Capo take a step. And then you have him as well. So, yeah. What are your thoughts, Kiel? Well, did you see how did you see how close Toronto was to getting that uh, the number one as well? With the, just <laughs> the double the, doink. They had the yeah. the Chicago Bears double doink. Yeah, I did see that. That's yeah. classic Leafs right there. It, it is. It's just the way just the way the cookie crumbles. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously for for you know being um, working for one of the Rangers affiliates, exciting for them, and hopefully it, it can positively impact the Mariners as well and some trickle down they'll maybe get a good player as a result of this but yeah uh, Lafreniere I think he's the uh the way to go you've heard about him for a long time as uh consensus number one and I mean yeah I mean you get Kako and, and him back to back you obviously have a really good foundation to build on there and uh, they're the Rangers I think uh, this was kind of the last hurrah for Henrik Lundqvist and, Guy had a, a great career, and unfortunate for him to have it end, potentially end the way the way it is, looks like it may be ending. But they, that's the next place they've got to find their answer. I think is in goal, and, and you kind of build out from there. But um, they will have a good foundation with their forwards uh, after after getting this number one pick. Yeah, they do have the good goalie prospects, as we know, uh, up and down the organization. So I think I'm not too worried about them there. Shesterkin played well in the season. He didn't play well in that last game, but I don't know if he was still nursing an injury because, as we saw, he wasn't even dressed the first few games. I think Hank has one more year on his contract, so I'm interested to see what they do if they try and – I would assume you try and dump his salary and attach, you know, maybe a second rounder to it or something uh, because I think you would want to free up that cap space and – uh, you know, get a player for him and maybe you can get Henrik somewhere where he can have a shot at the title, I, which you, yeah. you would love to see, but I don't know where he would really fit in as a starter, a legitimate starter where he could be, you know, number one to win a championship. But we'll see as that happens in the offseason. So we're going to move on here to our uh, look into the first round. So I'll give the series, I'll give my pick, and then a couple thoughts, and then we'll go to you, Keels, and you can do the same. Sounds so for, first series I want to talk about, Vancouver versus the Blues. I picked the Blues in five. I thought, you know, they didn't play great in the round robin, but, you know, I thought they were one of those teams similar to the Bruins where they're kind of conserving their energy, getting ready to go, but Vancouver comes out up two already. So uh, we'll see if they can bounce back. I haven't seen a ton of this series. Like you said, it just hasn't been uh, up when I'm up lately, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start taking a peek more at it because I think the Blues need to 
you know, win game three or they're in trouble and, and you look at the, the classic, do they have a Stanley Cup hangover? Yeah, those West Coast start times can be tough, even in the bubble. Um, I have St. Louis as well. I have it in seven, uh, just because it's, uh, I think, an evenly matched series. But I gave the Blues the edge for their experience, you know, going through the, you know, to, to the to play devil's advocate of the Stanley Cup hangover. They also have the experience that could help them out in a long series. But obviously, they're really going to need to rely on that now, down 2-0. Um, Vancouver is uh, – Vancouver kind of falls in that category, too, I was mentioning earlier, teams that have not really made much noise in the playoffs ever since uh, they got to the finals and lost to the Bruins, which was well, almost 10 years ago now. Um, but they're, they're always in the conversation. So uh, it'll, be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, obviously, a huge – almost a must-win game for St. Louis in game three. But, uh, yeah, I picked them in seven. Yeah, I think I, I want to preface this by saying I was on a mountain when I was making these picks. I had to get them in late. Uh, so I didn't pay too much attention to the games. I was focusing more on the series. But I thought five or six, I just thought experience. Uh, but, you know, Vancouver has really no pressure on them. They're playing the – so if they lose a series, no one's going to be surprised. But if they – if they do take it, you know, that'll be surprising. So moving on here, we have Arizona versus Colorado. I pick Colorado in a sweep. They're not going to do that because, you know, Darcy Kemper stood on his head once again, like I was saying. But this series has been pure domination. Even that game they won the other day. I think they won and the shots were like 40 to 14 or something. And they won four to two. It was, yeah. So, like, I don't – this isn't much of a series for me. I don't, I don't anticipate Arizona. Maybe they'll steal one more game, but I don't see any scenario where they win the series. Colorado played their backup in that game, too, because it was back-to-back, which is an interesting uh, uh, kind of uh, element to the bubble where you're not used to – I mean, teams play back-to-back all the time in the regular season, but not in the Stanley Cup playoffs, so that's interesting. But uh, I didn't pick any sweeps, but I did all – that. this was one of the shortest series – that I picked, I had Colorado in five. Um, yeah, I mean, basically for all the reasons you mentioned, that they're they're just a better team in all aspects. And uh, yeah, when you outshoot or when you're outshot that badly and you find a way to win, um, then you certainly tip your cap to the goaltend to your goaltender. And I don't know that he's going to be able to replicate that three more times. So uh, yeah, Colorado in five, and I'm standing by it. Yeah, I don't know what's left on Kemper's contract, but he is going to get a giant bag full of money uh, <laughs> as soon as it's over. Uh, and, you know, feels like Arizona is one of those places where, you know, they always got plenty of cap space, so I don't see any reason why he would leave if he likes it there. Uh, but we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, so uh, moving on here, we got a barn burner right now. I think it's 3-3 I just saw going into the third with Calgary versus Dallas. So Calgary is up two to one right now. I picked them in six games. We kind of talked about the reasons why before. I think they've been gritty. They have those guys like a Kachuk. I don't believe he's playing today, but uh, Sam Bennett stepped in and played well last game. Uh, You know, they got the guys like Johnny Goudreau. They got Giordano on the back end. Cam Talbot's been playing well. So, and Dallas looked terrible in the round robin so that's why I I picked them um and I picked six because I figured it would be a longer series because Dallas does have that talent uh you know with their puck moving defenseman and up front yeah you know I I was uh 
trying to figure out how much how much stock I should put into the round robin games. And obviously, uh, with with this Boston situation, you know, it can go one way or the other. Um, but I, I also think Calgary. We continue to agree here. I had them in seven. Um, and like I was saying before, I just think they're built for the playoffs. Uh, they have a you know just a good mix of players. And, and now also Ben Bishop is out for Dallas. They've been playing Kudobin. Um, so that's a huge disadvantage for them, uh, especially with how um, how well Cal- or how, how good goaltending Calgary is getting. So um, it is a wild game here. Three three. It was uh, I think five or four or five goals were scored in that second period alone. So we'll see how that shakes out. But uh, I think it'll continue to be an entertaining series. Uh, so yeah, Calgary and Sadman is my pick there. Yeah, definitely, definitely think it'll be entertaining. And uh, to your point, I think that um, all these games have been tight, so it will be uh, an entertaining series. And sorry, I'm getting distracted here. Matthew Barzell is making me sad. Uh, Moving on to Chicago versus Vegas. Uh, You know, we saw Chicago do the the upset in the first round. The games have been well fought, except for one, really. They've been pretty pretty close. But – Vegas is just asserting themselves um, in their dominance. And the point I was trying to get to before, sorry, retracting because now I remember it, is my thoughts on the qualifying round was not to put too much stock in it, but we are kind of seeing that for the most part, it it has translated a little bit because, you know, Vegas, Vegas is a perfect example. They dominated in the first round. They're playing well right now. Tampa's up in their series. Philly, well, Philly's split right now, but I, I think for some series it's playing, some series it's not playing out, but I think more for teams that didn't play well, like the Blues and the Capitals, it, it's showing. So um, I think it's case by case, but I, I put a little bit of stock, not too much. Um, I, did, I put less stock in the seeding. I put more stock into how they were playing, you know what I'm saying? That's reasonable. But, yeah, so Vegas up three to nothing. They can close it out today. Riley Smith has been fantastic. I don't know how much of the series you've seen. He's got he had five points in the first two games. He looked really good. He's been buzzing around. No points in the last game, but he's been really good. They have the goalie change after Leonard has a poor game uh, two, even though they still got the want the win. I was mentioning this on the last podcast. What are they going to do? Are they going to stick with Leonard going into the first round? Are they going to go to Flurry? And I thought they should have stuck with. Uh, started Flurry. They're on to him now, but what do you do now? Flurry played really well the other night, but if he has a bad game, are you going to switch back and forth? Can you sustain that through the whole playoffs, you know, just switching back and forth every time someone has a bad game? What's your prediction? I think they stay, they stick with Flurry unless he, you know, falls apart in a series. I think, I think they are going to do that. I think they're going to ride the hot hand. I think they're going to go with Flurry until he has a bad game or two. And then they'll switch back to Leonard and then, you know, ride him until he has a bad game or two. What are you taking Vegas? That was what I was asking. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I had Vegas in six in this because I thought Chicago with their young guys, they would, they would uh, you know, put up a fight. I, I, I did as well. I did as well to the extent that I actually picked Chicago to pull the upset. And it's funny because I, I went through all these and I was like, you know, if there's ever going to be a year for upsets, this is it. I mean, there's no home ice advantage. Everybody's on an even playing field to some extent. Uh, and, and they all start, it was like a restart as we, as we've been saying. So I, I thought, you know, just taking momentum into the next round, 
Chicago would would find a way. And as you said, the games have been close, but obviously they're down 3-0 now. So uh, technically I could still get this one right because I have Chicago in seven, but it would have to be a monumental. Oh, okay. Um, I, I agree with you on uh, Flurry is the way you have to go. Uh, I mean, his experience is almost second to none when it comes to Stanley Cup playoffs, finals appearances alone. Um, you know, Robin Leonard has been great ever since he left Buffalo, to my chagrin. But um, <laughs> in the playoffs, I've always been of the mind that you cannot platoon your goaltenders. You have to – the goaltenders are just – they're um, – you know, the mindset, it's too, too tough to put them through that, not knowing if they're going to play and, get, and not being able to get into a rhythm. you got to pick one, one guy and go, go with it. Uh, obviously, they've gotten away with it so far, but I think after they advance, as it appears they are, they've got to make a decision and stick with it. Definitely. And sorry if I misspoke and said I had Chicago. I have Vegas in six. Oh, you did? You said Vegas. Oh, okay, I was just double-checking. I thought you, I misspoke. But, yeah, to your point, I think you can make a goalie change, but I think once you do, that's that. You have to just ride that guy and see how it goes. Right. Uh, moving on here, we have Caps versus Isles. This has not been much of a series. I picked the Capitals in six games. I thought it would be a hard-fought series. I guess not. Uh, I knew playing Trotz would be tough because he obviously knows the team. He knows how to slow them down. And they've been, they were playing great. Uh, Beau Valier, he's great. I, I, he's uh, back to your point about whoever it was that was not – oh, Kubelik, who was not on your radar, but now he is. This guy, Beau Valier, is on my radar now. He's been playing incredible. Uh, Pajau has been good as well. And, you know, Barzell has been – for me, I thought he was being – he was quiet until just about a half hour ago when he scored the <laughs> OT goal to pretty much put the dagger in the Capitals. They just don't really seem to have any life. Uh, it sucks that they didn't have Lars Eller in the first game. He had a kid, so he was out of the bubble. He comes back for game two, but Backstrom's out in game one. So essentially game one, they had, they didn't have either one. And the last two games, they haven't had Backstrom. It's hurt them. Kuznetsov has been tough in the faceoff dot. And normally Backstrom is one of those guys that can win a lot of faceoffs. So that is tough to overcome. Hope he wasn't great in the first two games. He played well today. I'm not going to put this on him at all. Uh, I'm going to put it completely on Jacob Varna, who blows a breakaway goal for the hundredth time, doing that shot in the five hole that literally worked one time two years ago, and now he won't stop doing it. Barzal comes back and finishes off with a beautiful move. Nothing really Hope he could do. Uh, the def- he just got around the defenseman and he was kind of left out to dry. So, what are your thoughts on this one, Keels? Yeah, it was tough. I mean, not only did Vrana have the breakaway, he had a second chance too. So um, give uh, Varlamov credit for making the save. But it's just one of those things where, uh, yeah, the Islanders don't look – or the Capitals, I should say, don't look inspired. I saw the stat that Ovi didn't even have a shot on goal for the first two periods. Uh, He's got to be more of a force. Um, You know, hard hard to pick on him. I mean, he's, you know, one of the best players of our generation. But um, the Islanders seem to be the more motivated team. And uh, I am definitely surprised by the way this has gone. I had the Caps winning this in five. So clearly I underestimated the uh, Islanders a little bit here. But, hey, I, I wouldn't count – I would not say the series is over just yet. I know it's easy to be pessimistic. And I know it's very hard to come back from 3-0 down. But there, the, the bubble environment, I think, lends itself to the possibility – of coming back or at least makes it easier because you're not traveling. 
you know, you're in the same spot. It's much easier to take it one game at a time. You're not going from one arena to another. Um, everything's kind of neutral. So I think that in the locker room there, as long as the Capitals just kind of focus on game four, win that one, and then focus on game five, uh, then they still have a chance. I mean, they're, they're the more talented team if you look at this on paper, but um, they certainly are going to need some spark uh, if they're going to have a chance. Yeah, definitely. They they need to score a five-on-five five goal. I don't think they have a single five-on-five five goal. I think the first two were Oshie, yeah. Two goals by Oshie were power play in the first game. Two by Ovechkin in the second game were power play, and they scored once in the power play today. You're not going to win a series if you don't score goals five-on-five. Five. It's great that you're being, you know, that you're doing well in your power play, but um, you, you just can't win without that. And I think you're right. I, I, but that's what they need to do. They need to focus on game four. And I think as soon as they figure out the Islanders and get that first five-on-five five goal, you know, they could go on a run. It's like you said, they are – they do have more weapons. They do have more talent. It's just can they break out of this slump that they've been in since they got to the bubble. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, but moving on here, we got the Flyers versus Montreal. I picked the Flyers in four just because of how dominant they were in the qualifiers. I thought four or five, you know, thought Montreal would steal one, which they did. Uh, in uh, they didn't really steal it. They dominated them five nothing. Uh, coming back after they got the terrible news that Claude Julien was rushed to the hospital. So um, we're thinking of him and hoping he's doing all right. And thoughts and prayers to his family. But the team comes back and gives that inspired effort. I I'd imagine that probably helped out his spirits a little bit. And um, that's good to see. So we'll see if. They can keep riding that. You know, we've seen it happen before in sports with, you know, the Vegas Golden Knights and teams like the Red Sox where tragedy strikes your team and you're able to, you know, ride that for a a deep playoff run. So we'll see if they can do that with the, um, you know, losing their coach for the rest of the season. But a great coach, Claude Julian, is. So hopefully he can be back behind the bench maybe next year. Or, uh, you know, if not, we just want him to be healthy and a legendary coach either way. Yeah, I definitely echo all that. I did read that he was we was released from the hospital, expected to make a full recovery. But um, yeah, scary stuff. You don't want to mess around with the heart. And then, you know, with COVID going on, I imagine he's at a higher risk. So got to be really careful with that. Um, and, but you're right. I mean, that's definitely a rallying point. Win it for Claude. And we'll see if they can do it. Uh, I, I picked Philly in six. Uh, they obviously looked really good in the round robin uh, coming up with the number one seed. And, um, you know, their Carter Hart, I think, is one of the top goaltenders. Uh, maybe you wondered how he would do without much playoff experience. But um, game two aside that, that you just referred to, he's been really good. So um, I think Montreal has, has uh, really embraced the underdog role. And I think they can potentially pull off this upset. But I do think Philly's a better team. I think that will show itself in a long series. And I think ultimately they'll end up pulling it out. I agree with you there. Moving on here, we got Tampa versus Columbus. And this one started off with a bang. Like I was saying, I was out on vacation on the lake. Game starts at 3 o'clock. You know, I catch like an hour of it. We take the boat out, go to dinner. I get back, you know, expecting to throw in the Bruins game, 8 o'clock. I turn on the TV. Uh, nope, they're still playing. Five hours later. This game goes to five overtimes. It's these Great performances from both goaltenders. 
by Jonas Corposalo stealing the show. 85 saves, crushes the record. Previous record was 74. I think I believe it was set in 87. So, you know, almost 40 years or a little under 40 years later, and he he smokes the record. And it's it's tough, tough to lose that game. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, how that that I, I would imagine his teammates uh, felt just as bad for not winning that uh, for him. Although it, it really no fault of their own. Both teams uh, obviously fought so hard for that game to go as long as it did. Uh, and I don't even remember what I was doing, but I remember turning it on in the second overtime. And I think, oh, this is interesting because because there wasn't really not a whole lot of overtimes in the first or in the qualifying round. Uh, slash round robin and then we've seen a ton since the quote-unquote playoffs actually began but um, what an what an unbelievable performance and uh, credit to uh, Columbus for bouncing back and winning game two because I I really feel like in a situation like that that's got to be such a devastating blow to play that much hockey and come up on the losing end uh, to bounce back and win the next game even though they're now they're down 2-1 now I think that's a, a lot. It says a lot about the team and it's about, about John Tortorella, as you were mentioning earlier. Um, and I think with Columbus um, having pulled the upset last year and, and, you know, stunning sweeping the number one seed last year in this matchup uh, has a lot to do with Tampa Bay's wanting to get revenge. So that's why I took the lightning in six. Um, spoiler alert, the lightning were actually my, my cup champion pick. So um, yeah, I, I was wasn't going to pick against them here in this in this matchup, but I think uh, I think it, Columbus is still very much in this series. I would not be surprised if it goes seven, but uh, I just I just thought Tampa would close out in six. Yeah, going off of what you just said, I thought before this series that you know Tampa was going to be out for revenge, and regardless of how well I thought Columbus played and was coached in the first round, I took them in five because I thought they were just going to come out you know and throttle them. Uh, it's still in play, but after seeing these few games, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I could see this also going the distance like their last um, series. And I think, yeah, that second, that bounce back was huge because I think if you don't win that second game after losing, you know, such a demoralizing loss, I think that's kind of one of those ones where you maybe, you know, you start to die down and, and feel like it's not going to happen for you. So, uh, good of them to do that, and then they keep it tight, lose by one in game three. I believe that was overtime as well. And so you want to see what, you know, what they can come back and do in game four. But I think – I would not be surprised if Columbus pulls this out in, you know, six, seven uh, – seven games, sorry. So we'll see how the rest of that goes. Well, um, and, and we don't know – we also don't know what's up with Stamkos. I mean, he's, he's got the yeah. – uh, He's got the ultimate hidden hockey injury right now. We have no idea what he's injured or how long he's going to be out. Uh, but the fact that we haven't heard anything makes you think it's long-term. So that's obviously a huge X factor. If he plays, you know, just, you know add 10% onto Tampa Bay's odds. I mean, if he's playing healthy or somewhat close to healthy. But, um, I mean, they've done a good job without him. And, uh, obviously, it looks like they're going to be without Hedman, too. But he scored uh, the game winner in game three. So it seems like he's okay. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think he is more key than Stamkos. You need Hedman. Hedman, I think Hedman is the key to that whole team. If you don't have Hedman, you're, you're in rough shape. Um, He kind of, you know, 
controls the back and forth. If you don't have him, it's going to be tough to get the puck moving um, out of the back end. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I actually had this written down and I must have just looked over, glanced over it or something. But yeah, Stamkos has been, it's so weird because, you know, five, six years ago, if you would have said Steven Stamkos is out of the lineup for the Lightning, you would have thought they're done. You know, that's, that's their best player. But they've got so many pieces since those, yeah. even the Stanley Cup uh, worthy teams, that he's, you know, fourth, fifth fiddle now on that team. Like, I think Braden Point is more valuable to that team than Steven Stamkos is. I think, like you're saying, he's just an extra bonus. I don't think they need him to win the Stanley Cup. But if he comes back in any of the future rounds, as long as they, they move forward, that'll, that'll be a big – that's obviously a big pickup. You know, you yeah. pick up a guy who's been putting in 30 goals plus a year for close to a decade now, if not a decade. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that's a very interesting point you make. I mean, Kucherov, too, has is, is obviously surpassed Sam Coase on the depth chart, if you will, um, of, of scoring options, and, and point has been amazing. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, you just think about the, the impact of him coming back in, potentially in the second or the third round, if they're still in it, the, the boost that that would provide just to add an, an option like that. Um, and imagine what, you know, the, what that would make the other team feel, but also we have no idea how healthy he would be, uh, if he does come back, we know hockey players play through injuries all the time. So the fact that he hasn't played yet has to be a little alarming if you're a mm -hmm. Tampa Bay fan. Definitely. And moving into this last series here, I strategically placed this at the end because it contains the biggest story of the last couple of days in hockey. It's the Bruins versus the Carolina Hurricanes. They have to wait an extra day after their first game or when their first game was supposed to be because of that five overtime game we were talking about. That game goes to double OT. Uh, they're able to pull it out there. So they take game one, Carolina comes back, takes game two. Rass doesn't have the best game in his post-game comments. He kind of says, yeah, I'm not really into it or something along those lines to a reporter. That gets out. We know how the Boston media is. They are, don't take too kindly to it. They're all over him. I'm wondering if that, you know, was a contributing factor. And then the next day or so, he comes out day of game yesterday and says he's opting out of the bubble gives a statement saying he needs to be with his family, which obviously I, I respect, you know, you, if you believe you need to go be with your young family, I know he has kids and this and that and the other thing. Um, but I can also see some of the frustration there because if you're going to make that decision, we've seen it with, especially in Boston, Patriots players, uh, players like that. If, if you don't feel comfortable going, you know, maybe make that decision either before you go to the bubble or, you know, at the end of the qualifying round before the actual playoffs uh, start. It's kind of tough to, unless there's extenuating circumstances where something just happened yesterday, you know, that we don't know about, but it doesn't seem like that was that. Um, but to leave in the middle of the series is, you know, it has to be kind of demoralizing. They bounce back and win. Halak plays good in, in game three, but how's it going to affect them the rest of the way? Maybe not in this series, but it's going to be tough to win a Stanley Cup if you don't have your your stud goaltender. You know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been really interesting. I mean, ever ever since the round robin, there's been this weird energy around the Bruins, starting with, um, you know, their kind of their mentality in the round robin games, treating them like exhibition games, even though 
as we talked about, you want to be ramped up for the next round. But at the same time, they, they appear to have been able to flip the switch to where they're up to one in the series right now after not winning at all in the round robin. So it's been a really weird kind of situation to follow. Um, and as far as Rask goes, I'm pretty much in complete agreement with you. I think we have, obviously we don't know if there's uh, a specific circumstance going on with his family. Um, and if, if, if there is, he has absolutely no obligation to tell anyone. Um, so you have to respect that. But also if you're, if you're a teammate of his, I could understand being a little bit um, uh, annoyed by this because, you know, these guys have worked their butts off all season and then, work their butts off again to get ready to resume. And obviously they were the president's trophy winners in the regular season and their starting goaltender now just, just drops out. So um, it's, it's a very strange situation. Uh, obviously Halak is a very capable goaltender and uh, uh, you know, long-term, I don't know if he's the difference maker that Rask would have been, but if Rask's head isn't going to be in it, do you really want him playing anyways? So you got to ask yourself that. So um, I saw our buddy Mike McKenna made an interesting comment um, before this all happened about how the bubble environment or the, the not, I should say the no fans environment affects goalies more than anyone else. Cause it's harder for them to create their own energy and get amped up. I thought that was a really interesting comment coming from a former goaltender that I hadn't really thought about before. And it makes me wonder if that affected Rask, you know, did, did he have a trouble getting uh, into it and, and, you know, feeling like this was a playoff game. Um, I'm not saying that's why he decided to, to drop out. And it's probably not why. But uh, it does make me wonder if, if that was a contributing factor. Um, and it really makes the whole situa situation very interesting. But my pick in the series was actually Carolina in six because I thought, uh, you know, they were very impressive against the Rangers in the first round. And obviously Boston was uh, lifeless in, in the round robin. So that was my pretty, pretty, uh, doesn't take a rocket science, scientist to figure out my rationale there. But uh, I still think it's going to go definitely six or seven, especially now without Rask. Um, and Sebastian Ajo, in my opinion, is one of the most uh, underrated, if not the most underrated uh, player in the NHL. So um, I, I still expect a long series. I, I got Carolina in six. Uh, yeah, I took Carolina in seven, and I agree with you. I, I, I pumped Ajo's tires last um, podcast and talked about that goal he had, and he even had a move in the last game when I was watching the other day. It was kind of nothing because it – you know, it didn't lead to a goal or anything, but it led to a good chance where he just did this incredible, like flip the puck over the guy, then move, move around him, you know, move and he gets in, but another defender stops him, but it's like the hands on that guy is incredible. And I agree with you, you know, Halak is very capable. And uh, that is an interesting point that McKenna made because maybe that's why we're seeing these guys like Kemper and Cam Talbot, these younger guys, maybe they don't feel the pressure because there's no one there to, you know, come down on them if they're they're having a tough night when they're younger guys. Whereas a, a more veteran guy, like you're saying, Rast, he feeds off that. So that it that is an interesting point. I mean, just, just think about all the playoff games he's played, and he's been in what two Stanley Cup Finals. Um, you know, every single year, it seems that the Bruins go at least two, three rounds deep, and it just it can't feel like the Stanley Cup playoffs out there to a lot of guys. I'm sure some of it's got to be different from guy to guy. Some of them probably they're into the game and, and even during a, a normal time, they're not really paying attention to the fans. But I think some players really draw that energy um, to, to feel like they're in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And 
I definitely think you're right. I think the younger guys probably less so because they're just experiencing it for the first or the second time and, um, it, you know, playoffs are the playoffs. But if you've played so many times, you're used to something. You're used to a certain level of energy. And, um, yeah, it really is an, an interesting conversation. Maybe maybe you can get McKenna on next week to talk about it. How about that? That would be good. <laughs> that, is, that is someone I was thinking about reaching out to. So maybe we can get him on coming up here. That, that would be good to get his perspective on all this. Uh, so wrapping up here, I want to say thank you, Keels, for coming on. This has been fun. I'm sure I'll have you on at, at some point again down the road. Uh, we got uh, Calgary just took the 4-3 lead in the third period, so we'll see how that pans out. Big game here. Uh, you got any final thoughts before we hop off, Keels? Well, uh, thanks again for having me. I definitely enjoy talking hockey. There hasn't been enough of that in the last six months, that's for sure. Um, it's been uh, crazy to turn the TV on at basically any hour of the day and watch a game, but uh, yeah, I still, I still can't help but have that feeling of think something's just off without the fans. But uh, it, it's obviously better than not having hockey at all. And I, I do like the randomness of it. I'm, I'm always a fan of parity in sports. So I like when the underdogs win. And there's obviously still plenty of underdogs uh, in the tournament here. So it'll be exciting to see how this shakes out. And um, I will uh, gladly come on anytime, anytime you need me there. Awesome. Good to hear. Thank you again. And thanks to all the listeners. Don't forget to listen to uh, and follow at the recap pod underscore on Twitter. Uh, I'll be giving all my thoughts there. If, you know, Keels has any thoughts, maybe we'll retweet them there. Uh, but yeah, give him a follow if you want to. I think at M Keels, M K E E L E S 21. That's my Instagram, but uh, oh, okay. uh, Keely Mike at Keely Mike on Twitter. Okay, awesome. So give him a follow as well if you want uh, his thoughts on hockey. And he's always keeping up with the Maine Mariners. So if you need uh, any info on the Maine Mariners, he'll have it for you. So thanks again, Mike. And uh, thanks to all the listeners. We'll see you next time.